Welcome to the Data Strategy Show. My name's Samir Sharma, and I'll be your host for the next 60 minutes. My guest on the show today is Paul Morley. Paul is a data philosopher, a public speaker, and an executive at Nedbank's Enterprise Data Services, where he leads a team of world-class data professionals and is responsible for delivering Nedbank's regulatory commitments that govern the finance sector. He's also principal in delivering data analytical services to Nedbank's business clusters. With almost 30 years of experience in IT and data with IBM and Nedbank, he's been recognized locally and internationally for his participation, leadership commitment to innovative thought and leadership in the context of the global data industry and continues to be passionate and controversial about data and changing the status quo. He also loves walking around in his funky and colourful socks with no shoes on, as well as showcasing his extensive collection of loud and colourful shirts at the office. As you can see, he always tries to be different and does break the status quo. I hope you enjoy the series, and unfortunately, we won't see any of those colourful socks today. Paul Morley, thank you so much for being on the Data Strategy Show. Um, it's wonderful to have you. Listen, Paul, what I like to do is just you know, work out who Paul Morley is. So tell me a bit about your journey to data. How did you arrive at where you are, Paul? Uh, I think it was accidental uh, in, 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 the, in the bigger scheme of things. Um, <clears throat> I worked for IBM for, I don't know, 12 odd years, managing uh, uh, different components and dimensions of their business uh, and concluded my career at IBM uh, as part of a, a leadership management SWAT team um, that flew around uh, Africa, Middle East, Europe, uh, recovering large, large uh, company engagements from an IB perspective, and, and that included things like uh, technologies, uh, deployments, project management, mm -hmm. financial, contractual agreements, wherever there was a major bottleneck that, that inhibited the, the, the IBM business from moving forward or they deemed as problematic in one dimension. Um, so yeah, I spent the last sort of two or three years in IBM in that career, Mm -hmm. um, doing that, and then ultimately I've landed up. Uh, you know, NetBank uh, um, approached me, essence headhunted me from 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 Dubai to come and manage their uh, systems um, management integration on on various internal projects. Um, I sort of became an SME in the systems management integration space. And yeah, for the last I don't know, seventeen years now, I've been at NetBank and 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 fulfilled many roles and and, and functions from systems integration to project management, program management. Um, and obviously now I'm, I'm in, in the data space and that's, that's where obviously our CIO, our current CIO, um, thought I'd best fit and uh, I've been in the data space now for 11 years out of my mm -hmm. 17 years at Midland. So I, I suppose it's um, um, accidental. I don't know what happened there. That's all right. Um, I, suppose, don't I suppose it's accidental. Um, on, on, uh, just My journey just worked out that way and um, mm -hmm. now I am mm -hmm. where I'm Passionate about data, I suppose. Great, great. So, so listen, I, I, I think there's, you, you, sounds like you've got a really big portfolio um, at Nedbank that you have to um, manage, deal, lead. Um, but, you know, just, just coming to that, because you, you, you've primarily worked on transformation programs throughout your career. What's the, what, what would you say are the top three biggest challenges that you see in transformation projects specifically with data around the sort of data transformation that you've been working on whether it's integration whether it's people whether it's you know uh, 
colliding data into a data warehouse or data lakes. What, what would you say are the, the top three challenges that you've had? Uh, I think from that perspective on, on, on any transformation pro program, um, because you're dealing with the unknown and the uncertainties and the ambiguities of, of an aspiration of, of where you want to go from today to, to tomorrow. Um, I, you know, and again, there's many dimensions and, and certainly uh, we are feel passionate and very observant about and, and which has stood me in good stead in a number of instances is the, the challenges that you face is, is really got to do with the first of all, the understanding of, of data specifically, if we, mm -hmm. if we, if we contextualize it in a, in a data transformation world, it's understanding um, across the board. So um, because we've drive, the industry has driven this level of hype around data and all these new things in fourth IA and the industrial age, you know, it, 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 a lot of people uh, are, are, are misunderstand or mis, misperceive those messages. And, and, and so understanding would be number one. The, the, the second one, in my view, would be fear. The inherent right. fear people mm -hmm. um, to change, to, to go to a place of unknown, to, to go to a place of, of an aspiration without knowing how they're going to get there, what the benefit is, what the effect on themselves are going to be. Mm -hmm. um, so there's an inherent fear. So mm -hmm. understanding mm -hmm. fear would be up to um, the the third the third component um, is how yeah, the, the challenges we face is is because of all this drive and uncertainty and fear and and uh, uh, hype around data. Uh, what what typically happens as a as a challenge is we dive into the end game first, which is right. a, a, a technology conversation. So. Mm -hmm. uh, the third component of that, if I can articulate in such a way, is is we lose focus on the journey and rather want to discuss the endpoint. And 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 I think we've had a number of conversations around. You know, there's that old adage about people, process, and technology. Mm -hmm. First, you need to understand mm -hmm. all dimensions. Do you have the skills? Um, are they trained? Are they aware? Uh, do they understand uh, you know, there's that dimension? And then there's the second dimension, which is the process of doing business. How do I do business? What is the process of doing the business? Mm -hmm. uh, are they in doing the business? Yep. Uh, is business yeah, constructed uh, appropriately to do the business? And then obviously there's the third leg or the third step uh, or, or, or stage behind that, which is the technology. And, and you know, technology is there to automate the process of doing business which is the function of people driving yeah. the business. But, uh, the, the other one is we, we reverse the model. So the third challenge is we get confused. We forget about the journey, that journey in, in order, and we jump straight to the end. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's, 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 uh, it's the rush, I suppose, which would be the enthusiasm and, and uh, the rush to get to the end, uh, I think needs to be tempered. So in summary, I think it's uh, um, the understanding, uh, the fear, and the rush to get it done. And yeah. I think those are the biggest challenges that tend to drive issues in transformation mm -hmm. projects. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, sort of the, the three dimensions I would worry about. Yeah. Uh, so. And so let me, let me just unpack some of that. So your understanding of data. So this is very much, and you talked about hype. You talked about the level that we are now as an industry, as a, as a body of people, continuously hearing about AI, ML, 
IoT. Is that the kind of understanding that you're seeing as opposed to the understanding of foundational elements? What, what, what are those things that, that, that is, is making people think, oh yes, we're going to uh, transform the way we do this bit of work, i.e. process, and we're going to layer AI on it because it's going to be super efficient and it's going to ha it's, we won't have to do anything. Is that, what we, is that what you mean by the understanding of data? Or is it uh, what yes, data can do for you? Correct. So I think it's a multidimensional question. So uh, let's break down the understanding piece. Mm. So it's understanding what data can deliver to you yep. uh, and how it can enhance your, your product, business, uh, or strategy. Um, so it's, uh, we don't understand how that fits together. So we talk about monetization of data. Well, that's very difficult because data is always in the eye of the beholder. It's how mm -hmm. you use it, how you implement it, uh, how you present it um, that, that adds the value. And data in itself inherently doesn't add value. It's, it's a foundational component for value add. So that's the first, the, the, the first thing you, we, we... Okay, we so it's, it's really understanding the value of data and its, its value to that individual or that team or for what decision is being made, okay? Correct, okay. correct. Yep. And, and, and again, if you use it, it'll add value. If you don't yep. use it, it won't add value. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and how you use it is very, very important. Uh, if you use um, data um, that's you know, perhaps not um, compliant to privacy, if you're using data that could potentially expose your customer base or your, 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 your product, if you're using data that perhaps is specifically more importantly when you dive into the, the, the advanced analytical dimensions, the AIs, the, the, the DLs, the MLs mm -hmm. of the world, very, very important that you understand how you use it and what Correct. the outcome is. And yep. Because those models, you know, in that dimension of data is now an, an added complexity. And, and what I've seen is, Lots of people want to dive into those advanced capabilities without the inherent understanding of what their data is. Correct. Or yeah. what it is. Yes. Or is it of a suitable quality? Yes. Is it of a suitable span? Is it of a suitable uh, velocity? And if mm -hmm. you don't understand those basics, mm. you know, when you get into the, the automation, because now you've talked about, so that's the people component, the understanding of data. So let's just walk through that process. If you don't have the, your people don't understand the data, which deals in this analogy around the people, mm -hmm. when you get to the automation, which is where the ML models and analytics sit, where you've got a, a an unintelligent, uninformed, uncreative entity or system that now consumes that data and then mm -hmm. reports an outcome based on on on, on a model, um, it, it could be wrong. Um, yeah. So before yeah. you start getting into the, the, you know, how I'm going to add data, first you need to understand your data and mm -hmm. where it is. Data mm -hmm. quality. Do you understand yeah. the lineage? Do you know where it originates from? Um, uh, there's many, many questions that you need to do. And that's, again, the people component. And so that's the one dimension of understanding. And the second dimension of understanding is once I have all of this data and I understand my data uh, and, I, and, and it's in a, in a position or a place where um, I believe it's correct and it's contextualized and all of those good things. How do I use it now? How am I going to use mm -hmm. this mm -hmm. to drive my business, yes. drive my business yeah. success, drive yeah. the bottom line? And this is now you start getting into the dimensions of what is your data strategy? How do you position strategies or data strategies within the bank? In, in my case, the bank. Yeah. And, and, and support that. So there's, 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 the understanding sits on both sides. But yeah. you have to start yeah. with the first piece, which is the understanding the fundamentals. 
before you get to the second piece, which everybody loves to dive uh, into. Absolutely. And, and, and I think it, it goes to your final point on that in terms of the technology first principle. I always, I always talk about that most, most companies I see or that we work with typically have started with that technology principle. You know, first principle is technology. So they get all wrapped up in that. But what I want to do is, you know, is, yeah, they, they don't really understand what they have, um, where it is, how it's going to help them, how it's going to help drive their strategic objectives. And they've, they've, they've run, you know, way ahead thinking that they will use this piece of technology that will absolutely help them find those insights and suddenly, by magic, it will appear and they will know yeah. what to do. And again, I think that's the other part of the thing. People are looking yeah. for a silver bullet. You know, they yeah. will panic in the, this digital age, this, mm. this age mm. of service uh, beyond manufacturing. The, how do we service client centricity? Uh, they, they're panicking because they all know. And, and again, a lot of this is hype. You know, hype drives yes. this uncertainty. Hype drives this, this, the, this urgency. Mm. Um, and, and, and again, I often say to people, always remember that when you're going through these stages, so if you look at just the basics of the industrial, the, the, you know, these industrial revolutions everybody talks about, because there's such an urgency, people want to revolutionize. Mm. They want to go from A to B, and it must be done as quickly as possible, because if they don't do it as quickly as possible, they're going to be uh, less competitive, they're going to be outpaced, they're going to go obsolete. And, and, and again, that talks to the, the fears, which yeah. I mentioned earlier. So, yeah. so yeah. It's not just about the fear of people, the people that work for you. It's also about the fear in the leaders of organizations, the leaders who own organizations. That drives the fear. Now, the fear then becomes an overriding urgent factor. Now, because you've got this fear and this urgency and all of these other things, you now want to accelerate and jump to the end, which we talked about earlier, which is the technology piece without going through the, 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 yeah. you know, the fundamental, yeah. the, the yeah. all transformation programs are, are, are evolutionary in nature. If anybody thinks that a transformation project is, is revolutionary in nature, they're wrong and it's going to fail. And people, because of the other hype urgency, are driving this level of, you know, uh, data adoption, data mm -hmm. uh, perspective mm -hmm. in a revolutionary way instead of an evolutionary way. And, and, and as soon as you get into that space, you start cutting corners, um, you, know, you, you, you further enhance the fear in people, you further enhance the, the fear in leaders. Even if it's done unintentionally, you are contributing to the fear. And the more, and you land up in this the, the spiral, this never ending circle. So mm. the more you try and push, the more you fail, the more you fail, the greater fear, the greater fear, the more you push. And you land up in this, uh, the, this, this never ending cycle of a downward spiral that 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 contributes to failures of data orientated projects and programs um, and, and so you've got to deal with the fundamental you have to break that cycle of fear and and so, the only so, way let, to so let, let me ask you as a as a data leader at nedbank and just looking at these three areas and and i think the fear piece is probably the biggest because I, i'm looking at the fear pieces you know not being as you mentioned just the people, but equally this whole thing about the fear of missing out. How do you as a data leader start to build that credibility of, listen guys, um, we're not going to run. We're going to do this sensibly. We're going to do it in a fashion which is um, 
I, I, I'm going to look at this through the lens of simplicity rather than complexity, because if I start to layer in AI on top of everything right now, it's not going to work. So there's a level of, there's a level of sophistication we can get to. How do you bring people who are absolutely fearful? And I think that the change aspect, because, you know, the change in the culture is a big, is probably the biggest killer of, of data programs, projects, etc. How do you start to bring them? on that journey of evolution and not not as you said revolution because that's not the way that we should be running these programs how as a data leader do you affect that thinking well again i think this it's a multi-dimensional question um, the first thing is you need to deliver regular success you need to celebrate the success you need to put yourself in a position where you are talking and celebrating very small successes very early on mm -hmm. in a regular basis and, and let that tempo build over time. So uh, don't be in a rush to do everything in, in day one. Um, rather start off with something small on a regular basis. Um, and, and, and that's how you build trust. That, and, and as soon as you build trust, um, a strange thing happens. Now, they are not mutually exclusive trust mm -hmm. and fear. However... Mm -hmm. When you start reinforcing um, uh, the dimensions of trust, when you start getting your people and your leaders to trust the success that you've demonstrated and the value that you've shown, once you start building that trust, you automatically find, on the other hand, the fear starts to reduce and people start to breathe and not panic and not knee-jerk. So uh, for, for me, it's about showing incremental success, mm -hmm. which is evolution. Mm -hmm. now, yeah. now, most people get confused between evolutionary and revolutionary, they think most people have the initial idea or thought that revolutionary uh, activities will happen quicker than an evolutionary sure. activity. That's sure. not necessarily the case. It can still mm. be on the same timeline, but mm. the difference on the evolutionary nature is you is is, is you slow down, yeah. you divide it into small uh, achievable components, and you deliver uh, on time on those commitments you've made. Mm -hmm. And, and mm -hmm. just because we say it's evolutionary and revolutionary doesn't mean evolutionary is going to take longer than a revolutionary uh, approach. But the way you approach the transformation is, is smaller, incremental yeah. successes that build upon each other. And in, through that process, you can remove or, or certainly dampen the effects of fear um, um, people in an organization or leaders have an organization. So it's about building the trust. As soon as you build that trust connection, um, you'll find you'll get more support, mm -hmm. more funding, more recognition, and that now becomes a positive spiral. So sure. with more support, more funding, yeah. and more appreciation, you deliver more, and it becomes uh, uh, sort of a... The building blocks to success, yeah. Yeah, uh, unlike the fear side, which you can also get into, but but they're fundamentally not necessarily different. It's just the way how you approach them. But mm. you've got to show success, and you've got to build that trust. So I think you're right because a lot of times I've you know been engaged by a client. They've they've been very skeptical. They've had people come in previously who have not probably looked at it in a way that has been. The, the, the evolutionary approach, the journey, the fundamentals, the foundations, as you talk about it. Mm -hmm. So they, they come from a level of, oh, no, it's going to happen again to us. But as soon as they start, and I think that incremental value is hugely important, even if it's a really small bit of value. But that small bit of value may equate to a large bit on maybe understanding the customer, 
just to, you know, small Correct. tweaks to, to, so to enable them to do that. So, you know, I, I think that's important for most people to understand um, in terms of how we walk through data innovation or how we help um, transform a company. And I don't think it's, it's, it's about um, radical transformation. I think it's about, a, you know, as you talk about, a, a gentle step-by-step -step approach. But here's one thing I see a lot, though. I walk into organizations where they've been told that they've, they've got to spin up a data science team immediately. How did you, in your current position at Nedbank, because I know it's been a, a pretty evolutionary transformation over, what, three to five years? Um, yeah, maybe longer. Yeah. What were the first things that you did in your position to say, hmm, okay, so what do I need now as, uh, in, in terms of a, a structure, an organization, a bunch of people to help me on this journey? What were the first things that you talked about in terms of a data organization? The first thing, the first thing I always thought, and again, this has got to do with any sort of data, data initiative, initiative, be it ML, data science, uh, BAs, architectures, mm -hmm. solutions, mm -hmm. cloud, digital. But before you even get to any of those components, ask yourself, always ask the organization why, why you want to do it. Yeah. Because you know, before you even start to run, let's just understand, do we understand why we want to do it? And, it, yep. and, and don't even execute something if you can't understand why you want to do it. So mm -hmm. let's, mm -hmm. in this case, your question. So that's where I start. I always go, yeah. like, I'm cool. Yeah. I understand. But why? And, it, yeah. and if, you can't, if you can't articulate why, then you're not ready to do it, to be honest. And, it, and if you try and force it and you're not ready, it's probably going to fail because you're not going to get by, by funding. They probably see you they probably see you as a cost overhead at some point. Sure. Um, there, you know, there's, there's employment restrictions and, and you know, there's, Times are tough. People don't have time to waste money or, or productivity no, on something yeah. that they can't do. So ask why. So when you start building a data organ, again, you started small. You don't roll into the organization uh, where, to your point, people are somewhat skeptical or they have inherent fears or, you know, whatever the organization is. They're saying, well, I need 500 people. I need half a billion rand, uh, 100,000 pounds. And I'm going to build a data enterprise and I need, you know, I need all these experts. No, no the answer is no. You know, no one really, up until this point in the last two or three years, no one really cared about data. You, you didn't hear a lot of conversation around data management, lineage, data yes. quality. Yeah. It's yeah. only through the event of, you know, this rush and urgency and fear of the fourth industrial age, somebody actually said, oh, we have to use data. We need all of this stuff. Um, so, again, you start off small. I mean, mm -hmm. if, you're build a, if you're going to build a data team, start off small. Deliver that incremental value. Become a... Become a trusted partner in what you do within the scope that you've got yourself. Don't mm -hmm. make the scope too big. And again, through that success, you will get uh, the commitment. You will get the funding. You will get the appreciation and you will get the support to incrementally grow that team uh, to, into the different dimensions of, 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 uh, uh, of the data, you know, the whole data domain. You don't start off with saying, I need a data quality team. And I need five experts that are worldwide certified to do data quality. Oh, well, well, no. Right? If, you don't, if you don't understand what your lineage is or what data you've got and, and all of that, it's not just having a DQ team. Or mm -hmm. for that matter, having a governance team if you don't even know what data you have. So yeah. you, you've got to start off with the fundamental basics and grow it through that exponential chain. Yeah. Um, not, not for one moment am I saying that you should just you know, break it down to that simple analogy. But again, building any data team or any data ecosphere or, 
or, or, or organization within an organization, it, you've got to start off small and show value because obviously a data organization is not necessarily an organization that, that, that demonstrates direct value to organization. Mm -hmm. it's, mm -hmm. it's not a balance. It's not like I'm selling cars and that car has made a profit. Uh, therefore, how do I me me measure this data, this data team? I, I deliver nothing besides the expertise, the knowledge, and the, the, the ability to consume data in, in, in an appropriate way. So in itself, you know, that generating value has to be done in a different way. And, and, and the only way you can generate value is, again, in the eye of the beholder. How do people that are driving that aspects of the business that are profitable or have a bottom line in terms of profit and, and loss, how do they perceive how this data thing supports them? And, and through their eyes um, and, and commitment and trust, you can grow your organization. But you, you can't do it in isolation of, of, of your businesses that are generating value. Um, yeah. Because in yeah. data does not generate value. No. The, the use of data uh, generates value. Where, where then in the, in, in the eco, uh, you, you talked about an e ecosphere of data, ecosystems and so on. Um, a lot of people often get caught up in um, building very large systems, you know, building data lakes. Let's, this is the, the, the common buzzword has been going around for a long time. Let's build a data lake. Let's, you know, let, let's get our streaming capability in place now. Let, let's, let's be, you know, f uh, uh, let's build something that's fit for the future, which I, I just don't, you know, I, I, I don't agree with. I, I don't fundamentally understand it. Right now, we're in a, a position that we, we're in the unknown. How do you as a leader, specifically in the data area, how do you cater for the unknown? It's, it's probably a, a crazy question in terms of, but we're, we're in pretty much a place where we've never been before. Um, Absolutely. And again, there's different dimensions of the question. Yeah. And I always come back to the framework of people, process, and technology. So how do you equip your people for the unknown? No one's got a crystal ball. I mean, if we had a crystal yeah. ball, we'd all, you know, we'd all be the, the top Forbes 100 most profitable companies in the world if we had crystal balls. But we don't have a crystal ball. So when you deal with people, how do I equip? How do you? So the question, let's try and pose the question to people. How do you equip your people for the unknown, for the ambiguity, considering that you don't know what the answer is? You don't know what the outcome of the race is. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, this journey is all the same. So when you look at your people things, prepare them um, with skills that can deal with the unknown and the ambiguity. Um, so you deal them with, you know, you, 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 you equip them with skills of lateral thinking, out-of-the-box thinking, problem-solving. Um, uh, uh, try and teach them and build frameworks for, for, for looking at problems in a creative way. Um, equip them with skills that will enhance or, or, or reduce their fear for the, the unknown. So you equip mm -hmm. them with skills that are best utilized to deal with unknowns, you know, yep. lateral thinking. Uh, uh, you, you, you have, I don't know, scenario planning and thinking, mm -hmm. teach them that, mm -hmm. uh, play out scenarios, um, uh, teach them um, to, 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 to have personal leadership in, in, in terms of you know, sharing the ideas and their concerns, teach them to communicate effectively. Mm -hmm. uh, the mm -hmm. things that help you from a people dimension in this world of ambiguity. Then we move on to the process that how do I work? What do I do? 
Um, the way you need to adapt you know, or look at that component of, of, of the dimension is you, you need to get into agile execution modes. You need to look mm -hmm. at frameworks that can deliver an agile, rapid fashion and, and, and deploy. So there's a whole process of what you do that needs to be adjusted to more of a, an agile way of execution. Um, because if it's agile, you, you probably have a better shot at dealing with change. Okay? Mm -hmm. and not that I'm mm -hmm. saying a minute that agile is the silver bullet that will help you 100% of the time deal with this world of change and ambiguity. But certainly it's a lot better at dealing with uncertainty than, say, you know, waterfall approaches of, 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 of execution. Likewise, your business, uh, your business processes. Build and review your business problems and see how dynamic, dynamic those business right. processes are. Yeah. Uh, and and uh, is there resilience and can those processes mm -hmm. deal mm -hmm. with ambiguity? So reviewed from a business perspective. Then when we land up on the technology side, how do you I now uh, prepare my technology landscape for ambiguity, for change, for uncertainty? Well, a lot of the technology we've deployed in NetBank is, is technology agnostic in a sense that uh, I don't build hard dependencies into mm -hmm. Technology mm -hmm. platforms, across technology platforms. Um, I abstract that stuff um, and and try and build a way of abstraction. And so it's 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 how you deal with your technology architectures is you can't build hard things into your architectures. It's got to be technology agnostic. It's got to be abstracted from one another. So you can yep. change components of your, your technology enterprise without materially affecting the other components. So that's how you prepare your organization for for change and ambiguity. You've got to look at it across, again, you have to look at it across all three dimensions. Are your people equipped with skills that are suitable for, for, for uh, ambiguity and a rapid change in directions? Mm -hmm. yeah, mm -hmm. I've mentioned mm -hmm. some examples. Your processes, your business processes, your execution processes, are they resilient to change? Are they built in such a way that um, um, it can deliver incremental, rapid incremental value that can deal with rapid change? Um, and, and change in direction and change in, in perspectives. Then you look at your technology. Have you built your technology uh, ecosphere and architecture in such a way that you haven't built dependencies between uh, um, significant components in your, in, in, in your architecture? Are your components in your architecture abstracted away from yep. each other? Yep. Do you have API? Do you have um, 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 uh, sort of virtualized schema? You know, these are all... That is, those are yeah, the things that one yeah. should be and I, and I, I think it's that, not that being, it's not about being, you know, I'm now ready for the fourth industrial action. No one is ready for the fourth industrial action. <laughs> but what you can do is focus on the dimensions yeah. that regardless of journey, regardless of outcome, you have built agility, you have built resilience, and, and you've built um, 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 stability you've in, in those things. People knowledge as well. And I really like the fact that you talked about people first, the upskilling, getting them to think about things like scenario planning and so on, which is fundamental. I don't think enough people really do it. Um, if, no. I, if, if I look at it, if I look at industries now, it, scenario planning is always left to people up there. So I think having yes. that, you know, base of people, you know, running uh, what I used, you know, what, what I used to talk, running war games or whatever, which is, you know, fun things when you scenario plan and so on. But it actually gets them thinking in that lateral way. And I think that's brilliant. Equally, the processes, you know, understanding your business. But so many times I will walk into businesses and I will see fundamentally they don't document, understand, and look at the end-to-end -end processes in the way that 
you want to make sure that while you've got an end-to-end -end process, you can track that through with data as well and see what that data pipeline looks like and that lineage and see that end-to-end. -end. So it's it, fundamental. I think those are the fundamentals. Um, so, so great points. I love those points. Really, really cool points. And technology, I, yeah, tech, being agnostic is absolutely true and being able to spin things up without being dependent you know, on certain connections and, you know, being, being, yeah. uh, be, being locked in, which is what I see a lot of times as well. Um, funny enough, I'm and, working with a client and, now. That's also the day where big transformation programs fail is because they're going on a transformation. They're trying to transformation. They're trying to transform an aspect of the business. Yeah. But when they start the transformation, it, they, they figure out very quickly that this thing that they're trying to transform is now hard coded into a whole bundle of other things. Mm -hmm. So if I had to transform that piece, which I want to, I now have to go backwards and, and, and transform all the other pieces. And this is why a lot of transformation programs either fail, they overrun extensively, or they cost exorbitant amounts of, of money. Yeah. And, and the complexity in any organization, okay, modern organization, is quite high because they're dealing with different levels of legacy, they're dealing with different complexity, they're dealing with different velocities of business, they're Correct. dealing with different velocities of data, etc. Yeah. So yeah. When you look at a transformation, all of a sudden, this thing now becomes a nightmare because it's not easy to do anymore because you, you, you're dealing with all these different facets that, that, that impede you, which, you know, which is fine. But, you know, going into the new world, you know, you, know you, can't, you can't be building anything to sustain you in the future that, um, that has uh, impeded you in the past, exactly like yeah. you just said. You've yeah. got to build ability, yeah. build abilities. Um, and, and, and that's what it's about at the end of the day. It's, it's not about, you know, how quickly you can do certain things and will I survive in five well, Is your business sustainable? If they are not, you're going to find that you're going to become laggards. And, you know, uh, and if you believe our, uh, our consulting um, um, peers and, and, you know, various other oracles in the data space, um, you know, they quote some fanciful numbers, but let's assume they're right for a moment. Uh, <laughs> they're saying you'll be obsolete in three, in three years. Well, yeah. Yeah, you know, I thought you were going to say three days. Hang on. You put the fear of God into everybody. <laughs> but, that's the, but that's what they say. Yeah. Like, yeah. You know, you yeah. read these comparisons on the top Forbes uh, 100 companies and they can do comparisons. You know, 20 years ago, if you won the Forbes, your business was there typically for 15 years within the hundred uh, the top mm. hundred now mm. they do that last year now the average lifespan of a company in the Forbes top 100 is now four years and they project now you get some some clever data guy who's now doing an extrapolation to the future and and people and, and you can't change the future neither can you foretell the future no. but people see no but if I follow this trend this guy's just and, and without questioning and that means my lifespan as a top 100 company is going to be 12 months which is rubbish, but let's 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 talk about that for a moment, actually, because we talk. We, you know, you've mentioned a hype cycle. You've mentioned, and I, th I'm, you've mentioned hype, not hype cycle. I always, you know, I I love the the Gartner hype cycles, wonderful things, you know. And and some years I see stuff on it, some years I don't, um, you know. And and things keep dropping off and coming back. But but then you talked about trend, you know, and those two things I believe are probably misguiding a lot of people. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Absolutely. How, how have, you know, one, there's nothing we can do about it. Everybody will talk about a trend, but, but as a, as a leader in a business that's driving innovation, um, 
through data, um, not not particularly from a maybe from a regulatory point of view, but from a customer point of view, or you know from 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 you know uh, processing and and other points of view. How do you keep people on track, especially in the C-suite and the board? How do you remind them that trends come and go and what trends mean and how they take us to this fruitful land which we never find or see how do you educate what, what do you do in terms of keeping their feet on the ground right so yeah the way i approach um c-suites and how do you change that again you know typically we talk about in any modeling we talk about probabilities and propensities which by default in stats is that so when we talk about trends talking into the future we never, we never seem to apply the same logic. So the first thing I say to everybody going through all these trends, the first thing is I ask them is, you know, what's the probability of the trend? You know, I understand you've called it a trend. I understand there's some gravity around it and, and understanding. But what's the probability of it actually being something? And, and, I, and everybody sort of like slows down and says, make a good point. So, you know, and, and, you, and you bring them, you try and ground them back into the everyday right. world. Yeah. And we work for a bank. So everything's about quants and probabilities and stats. Mm. and the, Mm. Trends. Like, I get you, but you're all accountants and you're all, you know, trying to fall, you know, that's your job. But so, so let me ask you a question. You talk about all these trends. What's the probability of the trend taking place? And you go, what do you mean, Paul? So, you know, five years ago, everybody said uh, 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 artificial reality was a trend. Well, actually, no, it didn't take off. Uh, subsequent, it evolved into augmented reality and mixed right. realities. Now, yeah. there's an application there. I get it. Now it's becoming a thing. But, but we called it a trend in the past, but it wasn't a trend. So it had a very low probability of success, uh, mm -hmm. given the fact that most trends are founded in the, the basis of mass adoption. So for a trend to be a trend, it has to be a, adopted by the mass. Yep. It must have gravity behind it. Same reason why people are, oh, Paul, we've got this quantum computing as a trend. It can't be a trend. And the probability of quantum computing actually being a trend is going to be very low simply because of the cost barriers involved. I mean, there'll be four or five people on the planet that'll have it mm -hmm. and use it yeah. and get involved of it. It doesn't mean it's a trend. Uh, you know, so first you try and bring them down to that. And so let's just, let's, let's, let's be cautious. Let's patience, understand, you know, don't execute something because people say it's a trend because in, in all prob probability, it won't be a trend because simply because no one's got a crystal ball. Mm -hmm. And if you do talk about trend, talk about it with a dimension of probability. What is the probability of something like this actually being material as, as, a, as a trend? Um, and when you start putting a little bit of reality into the room uh, and rational thinking in the room, you know, okay, now it's now everybody's a little bit more comfortable. So you've dealt the fear. And again, yeah. it all comes on. Yeah. The yeah, yeah. Now they're yeah. a little bit more comfortable. Mm -hmm. No, I, I, I love that. <laughs> Yeah, that's the first thing I would, I would, how I would approach it. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I see a lot of boards talking about AI now, and and simply it's going to help them revolutionise their business, and it may well do, but not their entire business. So it's for me, it's always coming back to the the point that you made earlier. Why, why is this trend going to help us? What is it going to do for us? Why is it going to change or radically? do something different for our business. And I, I see that, but listen, you know, we, we, we're coming up to the, uh, the, 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 the top of the hour. Um, I've had, we've had a great discussion today. Listen, I just want to ask you in terms of books that you've read, what has been from a 
innovation, a data, or maybe a just generally, what's, what's the one book that you could say that has guided you or given you most thought processes about what you do today? Well, again, very tricky question. Okay. Uh, you can name a couple. Well, for me, it's not about the books. Yeah. For me, it's not about the books. What, what I find with books, and I don't have the time to read a thousand gazillion books. Sure. I don't. Sure. So I read a lot of articles, white papers, okay. and things that are okay. short, impactful, powerful. So I read mm -hmm. a lot of thesis work. Mm -hmm. I read a lot of white paper positioning stuff. Mm hmm I also read a lot of blogs. And, and, and the reason why is that the benefit of knowledge does not come in how, how much uh, you, you know about a particular subject. It's not about that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The real benefit of, of, of knowledge and the, and the innovation and the innovative thinking doesn't come through the depth of something. And what I tend to, what I tend to see in books um, is that they talk about a, a single particular topic and they go into right. a lot of depth. They, right. They're very vertical in nature. Mm -hmm. So you know everything about a balloon. If the book is about a balloon, you know everything about a balloon. Well, you probably find that 95 to 98% of the book is like irrelevant. Um, you might find certain pieces that resonate with you. <laughs> so the real, <coughs> excuse me, the real innovation and thought processes comes about the span, how many mm -hmm. different things you read. Do you read philosophy? Do you read medical journals? Do you read data? Do you read technology trends? <coughs> Do you read manufacturing, uh, biology, human evolution, <coughs> cybersecurity? The real connection with a lot of innovation comes through joining the dots across a wide parameter and gambit Love of, of, of yeah. dimensions, plethora yeah. of that. So these two books I read, mm -hmm. generally I read books for my entertainment purposes okay, okay. <laughs> because if i read books about how to manage a modern organization in the 21st century that's 500 pages let's be honest one i don't have the time to read a thousand pages about sure. some guy which is based on his perspective yes only, but you're living it how you do it it's like you no value to me there's like yeah. no value in it so when i read books i read it for my own personal enjoyment yeah yeah okay when i'm reading when I'm reading for my professional, um, uh, try and read things <laughs> that are very specific, uh, that get you information, that are punctuous. So I find to meet that desire, mm -hmm. I find being published theses around the right. topic, published white papers around the topic, mm -hmm. because they're not 5,000 pages. Sure. They obviously went through a, a you know, professor of, of some degree, and it's pertinent. It's 180 pages, maybe maximum. Some are 80. But they're pertinent. They succinct, they're to the point, and they, the, 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 the innovation is diluted and the thought processes are diluted. So when, so, when I read professionally, yeah. try and find things that are, are, are get to the point very quickly, mm -hmm. but also mm -hmm. try and read things that are diverse in nature because yes. the real, real understanding of the universe of data cap, happens through multiple dimensions, mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. not in one thing. And I sure. don't personally know about you, which is my, yeah. I don't have yeah, time yeah. to read a thousand pages on no, data no, quality. No, no. no. well, yeah, I think we all struggle. I think, I think I'm, I'm like you. I, I used to read a lot, but nowadays I, I get to uh, dip in and dip out maybe of blogs or articles or um, just specific posts that I might see, even if they're not, you know, 300 pages long, but 
I think what I like and what I've heard is the fact that you've put an emphasis on it's not just about data. It's about maybe uh, tangential thinking. Maybe it's about philosophy. Maybe it's about psychology. Um, maybe it's about, um, the, 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 you know, maybe it is about technology or maybe it is about, you know, uh, understanding what's been in the past um, and really understanding where we've come from as you said, the biology or whatever it might be. So actually these things to me are really important. So you've hit on such a really great view of the, the dynamic view or, or a holistic view of where we should be looking at, not just that narrowed view of data or uh, organization or whatever it might be, but really expand the horizon, which I, which I love. Listen, I, I think the, the last thing that I'm going to ask you is um, as we wrap up, um, and it's a question I often ask myself. What is the future of the chief data officer? And the future of that data leadership? Is there a future? Uh, no, I don't think there is. And I'll tell you why. So um, we've got this notion. We're at this evolutionary point now. With yeah. This data understanding. Everybody talks mm -hmm. about it. It's data-centric. Yes, we must be data centric. Yes. data centric. Obviously, you do need somebody like a, a chief data officer, chief whatever you know that looks after data because you're trying to centralize. That's what mm -hmm. it is. Is what it is. Mm -hmm. you're trying mm -hmm. to find the, all information around a customer, all the systems. You know, yep. it's around centricity of data. Yep. Now, what people think is that's the end game. That's not the end game because that's the start of the journey. Where I ultimately see a lot of these things is. Don't become data centric, mm -hmm. become data aware. Yes. Now, when you're data aware, everybody in your organization has the relevant data knowledge, understanding and commitment, yep. or your leaders all have the, the right understanding uh, of data and its commitment and its influences. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And if you're aware of it, and if I'm in a state of data awareness, and my organization, as I've just articulated, is in that space of maturity of data awareness, why would I need a chief data officer? Because mm -hmm. everybody becomes a chief data officer. Yeah. So, uh, and, I, and I think we mustn't get too hung up on those roles. And again, yes. you know, it's like I scientists. Agree. One morning we, had, we didn't have any data scientists. Then everybody made a big thing of it. Then everybody's <laughs> like, I'm a data scientist. Yeah, well, yeah. actually, you've always yeah. been a data scientist. <laughs> yes. You know, we've had quants going back 40 years. I mean, yeah, 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 yeah. What is it? And, and yeah. likewise with a, data, a chief data officer. Um, you know, what is a chief data officer? Well, have you not had it before? Are you not performing the role? And when you become out of, when you migrate from data centricity to data mm -hmm. awareness, mm -hmm. I, I would, in, in that context, I would then question, well, why do I need a data officer? Because everybody in themselves becomes a data officer. That's yeah. ultimately where you're going to be. Mm -hmm. Your employees are all data officers. Your, your leadership is data officers. And, and they all bring the same passion direction. Then, then you don't need someone to lead because yeah, as soon as from, you put a leadership position in place, you're leading the dimension yeah. of an organization. Yeah. So if that officers lead the dimension of, of, of data through data cent, you know, centricity, but when you get to a point where you do not have to lead because everybody is a data officer, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it might fall into, I don't know, another form of a role, whoever our consultant peers decide is the next biggest, biggest thing. But, yes. but certainly once every, yeah. if everybody is data aware, why would you need a data officer? And, and that's just a question I would ask. My view, if your organization is now data aware, 
and you've adopted data as your core, why do you need a data what officer? Do does, does Netflix, let me ask you the question. Companies that deal with data and is the core data, does Netflix have a chief data officer? That's a good question. I, I will have to look at that. But, uh, but, but you see, I think it goes back to your point. They've been born out of that data yes. language. Data and, yeah, and, and being aware. I call it being data informed. You call it being data aware, but that is the point. So they've born up and, you know, be, and grown on top of that. So essentially, everybody has been aware of it. Everybody's been passionate and everybody's been thinking about data um, from day one. So where, you know, the, the, these companies who are late to the game are, think, are, are not thinking of data as day one, you know, from day one. They, and, and they've been thinking about other things. And I don't naturally think that they should be thinking about data from day one because their business is either about their manufacturing or about their customers or about their products. So actually, we should all have the, the data as a fabric, you know, within organizations i think it's just the heightening of what it goes back to your opening it's the value of it it's how we can bring it to the table what we can do with it how we can utilize it and how we can transform it into something that is going to help us achieve those objectives paul morley thank you so much today for your time it's been wonderful i loved your views on on everything in terms of transformational change the three points you made about the understanding of data the fear and, and, you know, the, the, the technology piece and I, I, brilliant. I've had such a great time today. Thank you so much for giving me your time. Um, and Sam, hopefully we can speak again. Sam, it's always a pleasure to chat to you. And, you know, we, we must talk more about, uh, in our data community about these points. That's the only yeah. way we're going to change the world is to make it aware and, and talk. And it's been a pleasure chatting to you for, for an hour. Uh, I always enjoy our chats and I also find it very informative. So thank you very much for having me here. Thank you, Paul.